Hey everybody, welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It's Monster Kid Radio and I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook, and you are listening to the song Cabinet of Curiosities. It's from the band Black Valley Moon from the album Songs from the Black Valley Moon. It came out earlier this year. Check out the entire record over at blackvalleymoon.bandcamp.com. Com or check them out on their website, which I believe is just blackvalleymoon.com. Either way, check them out when you're done listening to this episode of the podcast. Big thanks to the band for letting us play their music here on the show. Really like supporting the bands that support us, so please go check them out. What's coming up in this week on the podcast? Well, if you read the show notes, you already know, but I'm going to go ahead and say it again here. In case you didn't, it's another week, another installment of Sight Unseen Cinema, which is the kind of sort of series that Steve Turek and I inadvertently started. And, well, you know, it's been working out so far. Thought we'd give it another shot. This time around, we're watching a movie that, well, as with all the other Sight Unseen films, movies that neither one of us have watched. And we're checking out 1972's The People, starring William Shatner and a bunch of other people. And we'll talk about that later on in this episode when you hear from me and Steve. And then, yeah, you'll get to hear me make a pretty big uh, social media instant message, text message, direct message faux pas as well, because, you know, that's just how my brain is sometimes. Anyway, we've got that coming up. Plus, we have Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review, Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We even have a little bit of listener feedback. We have an email that came in. We'll get to that here in a moment. You know what? Let's not wait a moment. Let's get into that listener feedback right now. What number is this? What am I calling? So this email actually came in a little over a week ago. And I forgot to include it in last week's episode. So I'm just going to catch up now with an email from Ryan Langle, who has been on the show not too long ago. Great guy. And this is what he had to say. Derek, you have summoned me by mentioning stop motion. Oh, I should probably point out that the subject heading for this email is Fiend Without a Face episode. So you know what he's referencing. Anyway, he continues. The Fiend Without a Face episode was great. The fun in the room was audible. It made me want to rewatch the movie. As far as stop motion in horror, off the top of my head, this might be the first horror stop motion movie. Nosferatu and Haxon, both from 1922, have bits of it. There are various stop motion shorts that definitely have creepy elements, like The Mascot from 1933. As an aside, I don't know what that is. I'm going to track it down and try to watch it. Kong sometimes gets the horror label, but I wouldn't call it that. Monster from Green Hell and Kronos slightly predate Fiend, but are clearly more sci-fi, so Fiend Without a Face might indeed be the first stop-motion horror film. Though I'll do some more digging just so I can sleep tonight. So I haven't heard from Ryan since, so I hope he did get some sleep. And if you did find anything else out, man, I'd love to pick your brain some more. Anyway, he wraps up the email with, Also, the two modern art sculptures that come to stop-motion life at the end of Beetlejuice are based on The Tingler and Fiend Without a Face. So in a way, they sort of have met on screen. Once again, great episode. Take it easy, Ryan. 
I had not considered that, but you're absolutely right regarding the Beetlejuice sculptures. I mean, if that was the intent, they succeeded because they do look like that. And that, yeah, solid work. Very cool. This email comes in. All this talk about the first horror stop motion came up because when Dominique and Chris and I were talking about Fiend Without a Face, we were talking about how these little monsters may very well be the first time we saw stop motion used in a horror film. Um, We're not sure. Ryan would be a lot more uh, knowledgeable in that area. He's a stop motion animator himself, and he really studies the history of the art form. So, yeah, I, I can't think of anything myself either. Sure, Kong's got some stop motion. There's one stop motion shot in Godzilla, although that came out after fiend i believe so hmm i wonder well if anybody knows anything different i'd love to hear about it otherwise we're just going to go ahead and say that yeah fiend without a face first horror movie to use stop motion i don't know anything about the mascot from 1933 at least i don't think i do i know there are a lot of older shorts and cartoons and animated pieces that i'm sure i have seen and i just didn't know what they were but I'm going to look into it and see what it is. Uh, let's see. I'm pulling it up on Google right now as I am recording. And none of these still images look familiar to me. So guess what? I'll be watching here in a little bit. Thank you for writing in, Ryan. I really appreciate it. The best kind of feedback is when somebody gives me something else to watch. So well done, sir. And we do need to have you back on the show again soon. Sooner rather than later. We waited too long between your appearances last time. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. I'm William Castle, and I feel obligated to warn you about the next attraction you will see at this theater. The picture is The Tingler, which I directed. And for the first time in motion picture history, members of the audience, including you, will actually play a part in the picture. You will feel some of the physical reactions, the shocking sensations experienced by the actors on the screen. I guarantee that The Tingler has more shocks per minute than my last film, The House on Haunted Hill. But don't be alarmed. You can protect yourself. When you see the picture, you will be told and remember the instruction, how you can guard yourself from attack by the Tingler. And now may I show you a few scenes from the Tingler?
lived through the wild bloodbath of the slime people. With lust they come, with vengeance and murder. See the nightmare of the slime people. Live from the land of light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Cultures collide and conspire. In the epic 14th episode of Ultra 7, The Ultra Guard Goes West, Part 1. It all begins in the port city of Kobe, where Western visitors are being assassinated with alarming regularity. At the heart of the mystery are two Americans, a blonde woman named Dorothy Anderson and a heavily muscled man who seems bent on abducting her. While the Ultra Guard debates becoming involved in the murder cases, Captain Kiriyama is pulled into a secret meeting and informed that the murders are all connected to the Terrestrial Defense Force. Officer Manabe reveals that the Washington branch of the TDF angered planet Padan by launching an observation rocket in its direction. Interpreting it as an attack, Padan sent a message vowing a response, causing the Washington branch to schedule an emergency defense conference in Japan. All the Westerners killed were scientists coming for the conference, indicating a Padan assassin was already present on Earth. Furthermore, Kiriyama is charged with escorting Dorothy Anderson to the conference, with Dan, Soga, and Furuhashi serving as security. There, they speak with Professor Suchida, a lead scientist with TDF, who's ready to convene the meeting as soon as two more members arrive via nuclear submarine. The sub, however, is surrounded and destroyed by a team of strange vessels suggesting that a spy has infiltrated TDF. And when the strange vessels that destroyed the sub combine into one giant robot, Ultra 7 rushes to intercept it before it can destroy the Far East base. The robot withstands every attack, and episode 14 ends with Ultra 7 pinned to the ground, about to receive an apparent death blow from his opponent, from Pedan. The Ultra Guard Goes West, Part 1, is ambitious in scope, replete with international intrigue and spectacular special effects. It's a treat to see renowned actor Yoshio Tsuchiya return to the Ultra franchise after appearing in Ultraman Episode 18 and the second episode of Ultra Q. The veteran actor, who loved unusual subject matter, appeared in numerous Toho Studios classics such as The Mysterians, Invasion of Astro Monster, Destroy All Monsters, and was memorably vaporized in a face-to-face encounter with Godzilla in 1991's Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. This episode also marks the debut of fan-favorite robot King Joe, who dominates the proceedings and who would reappear across Ultra series as recently as 2020, occupying a major role on the storage team of Ultraman Z. Stay tuned for part two next week. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Mansky reporting. The Mysterium! The Mysterium! The Mysterium!
You are now inside a flying saucer. Our destination, the planet Earth. We are the Mysterians. Our race is old, dying, our planet dead. Only you of Earth, you and your women, can give us life. And what we want, we take. Swooping down from outer space. Blowing up from the lower depths. The Mysterians. Creatures who knew the uttermost secrets of the atom before our planet was born. Love-hungry spacemen come to seize our women that their dying race may live. It started in the east. Soon it swept the west. The all-out horror of interplanetary war. See giant robots no earthly weapon can destroy rip a path of destruction across the land. See the forces of nature harnessed to the invader's will wipe entire cities from the face of the world. See the earth itself crumble beneath your feet. Threatening our civilization with weapons beyond the belief of modern science. Flying ray guns that blast everything before them. An impregnable fortress that hides in the earth. Gamma rays that melt the heaviest armament. As men and machines disintegrate before your eyes. The mysterious. What power can stop their ruthless advance? See the blazing holocaust of an earth gone mad. See on the giant screen in flaming color. The mysterious. From a world beyond our own, come the forces of nature unleashed. Daikaiju Attack, the serialized giant monster story, presented free every week on DaikaijuAttack.com and SDSullivan.com. Become a member of the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today. Hello there, Monster Kid Radioheads. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today's film, The People, was not featured or mentioned in FM, but one of its stars had an interesting portion of an article. In FM 120 from October of 1975, in an article about The Devil's Reign, there was a section dedicated to William Shatner. I shared a part of this when we covered The Devil's Reign, but let's listen to the whole thing today. William Shatner, a native of Montreal, Canada, was a senior at McGill University's College of Commerce when he decided on a theatrical career. He joined the Canadian National Repertory Theatre in Ottawa, the alma mater of most of the Dominion's distinguished actors. Shatner had enjoyed his first taste of acting at eight. Two years later he was enrolled in the Children's Professional School in Montreal. He was graduated to juvenile roles on radio for the Canadian Broadcasting Company. On Saturday mornings he did fairy tales. In 1955 he accepted an offer from CBS TV in Toronto to star in a television play, Dreams, which he had written months before. Later, in New York, he became one of television's busiest actors. Next, he signed a contract with MGM and moved to the West Coast. His most recent theatrical roles have been in Remote Asylum, in Los Angeles and in many stock appearances around the country. Shatner's versatility as an actor is illustrated most by his varied film roles. He received the Best Actor Award at the International Peace Festival in 1965 at Los Alamos, New Mexico, for his work in The Intruder. Incubus is another example of the unusual fare in which Shatner has taken part. It is an Esperanto-language supernatural motion picture. Star Trek, the hour-long weekly NBC TV series, has enjoyed a remarkable history. On the series, Shatner was cast as Captain James Kirk, 
commander of the USS Enterprise, a cruiser-sized spaceship. He is expected to reprise his famous role in a motion picture version of Star Trek. It seems to Shatner that making the movie has affected people in and around it. Having worked in so many Star Trek episodes which frequently concerned individuals who used mental powers to control others, Shatner feels that, it is possible for whatever one believes emphatically, to really happen. Shatner sincerely believes that an X factor exists in all of us and it's plausible for this factor to stem from some extraterrestrial influence. There's unexplainable something about mankind that has influenced all his behavior throughout the ages, Shatner says. And there are too many things that do happen that cannot be explained. Shatner points out that the science fiction in Star Trek was imaginable. There are so many things that we're not even capable of imagining, he adds. Shatner has been intrigued by the various cults that have existed through the ages. I'm just curious and very open-minded, he says and smiles, perhaps that's my X factor. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more next time. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios. deadly predators searching destroying anything in their path he's over at colby's he's found another 20 or 30 hills just like the one we burned why did they come what do they want spiders in this area have organized themselves into an aggressive army william shatner tiffany bowling your nightmares will never be the same kingdom of the spiders rated pg parental guidance suggested This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night Ah, I mean monster kids can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. I don't know if you listened to this last week, but... Uh, oh, yes, I did. Kevin and I chatted for about half an hour. 30 seconds of it got recorded because I had my computer got rehauled, re overhauled, and all my audio software had to be reinstalled. And normally I just say, record for a three hour block, no problem. And it recorded for a 30 second block instead. And uh, so it got all of me and 30 seconds of Kevin. I'm like, oh, no, we got to start over again. So I, I'm so glad he was cool with starting over. Come on, man. he's the pick. You look, you look cool in the dictionary and you see Kevin Slick. <laughs> I mean, come on. Yes, yes, we do. Kevin Slick. Talk about a, a movie to follow the, the innocent. This is a different. This is a totally different kind of movie. Man, I tell you, I watched this this morning before work. Uh huh. <laughs> we'll I think talk I really about it more than you, but it's it's, it's, it's a bait and switch. It's a bait it's and okay. switch with the Shatner. You know, it's, it's like you know, but like well, I'm used to that with a lot of big names that he put 
But he wasn't top billed in the movie. He was second billed on the credits. So it's no, just, he wasn't. It's just the way it's he billed was. nowadays. Yeah. Oh, sure, sure. It's hard to believe that Kim Darby was the bigger star in 77 than in 72 when this came out and Shatner wasn't. You know, Shatner had a hard time after Star Trek went off the air. I know, but still. still. Of course, this is three years after, just as three years after True Grit. True. Shatner was not in True Grit. I, I, I know. Could you imagine if Shatner <laughs> was John Wayne's character? No. Bill, your hand. We've bled. You. Son of a. <laughs> wow. Oh, did you listen to the first Tamarama episode? Uh, yes, I did. I have not listened to the new one. Well, it just came out today. I mean, it's just kind of, it's got that fresh smell. Is that what that is? I thought something smelled. But oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Must have been. <laughs> I didn't know it was going to get all the way out to the West Coast. Huh. Well, you want to you wanna dive in, man? You can do whatever you want. It's your show. The M stands, the M stands for monster. Is that, I'll take it. I'll take it. And I've been recording this whole time. So I got a lot of incriminating uh, audio from Steve. And if it's not incriminating enough, I'm just going to edit it so it sounds incriminating. Uh, it's Steve and Derek. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, Derek. And Derek, I want to say my name is Steven. I'm 53. And the animal I'd like to be is a German shepherd because they're loyal, protective, and intelligent. <laughs> wow alright it's your turn Derek did you save enough magic juice so you can turn back into a person I did not drink all the apple juice right off the bat because I knew I needed enough to turn back <laughs> okay well, well we'll get to just what in the heck Steve is talking about here in a little bit but I want to catch up with Steve man. I want to see how he's doing uh, now that he and fellow podcaster friend of the show alistair hughes are rocking the hammer beat with hammerama kind of a, a sub series within the uh diecast movie podcast uh thing i don't know i, I don't have anything clever to say there just it's how's it going it's been going well and, and, and really you know we have we have you to thank because we did when you were taking your move um, everything all over the place, trying to get everything together. And I was being the Steve Rivers of the show for four weeks. And Alistair co-hosted me two of those weeks. And, of course, we did Hammer movies. And with 1951 being in a long hiatus, will it ever come back? We don't know. We, just, we felt we had to fill the gap until 1951 Down Place comes back and get that Hammer content out there. But we're trying it in a different way. We're trying to keep it in that 35 to 45-minute wheelhouse and aiming it at people who are new to it and also experienced and trying to find that happy middle ground as we, you know, we, we've got a couple episodes out. The first episode, um, Horror of Dracula or Dracula. And, of course, the one we just put out today, as you and I are talking, Quater Mass in the Pit. And then we got two more recorded and ready to come out. So we're looking forward to people being able to listen to those. I'm not going to share those episodes yet. Keep people in the mystery. But every month, a Hammerama episode will come out. Right on. Well, I think it's awesome. You know, more Hammer podcasting out there in the world, the better. You know? Well done, sir. And how's Diecast Movie Podcast doing? Oh, I think it's doing pretty well. I mean, uh, we, we're hitting um, the end of the James Whale retrospective series. 
And uh, that, I think that's gone well. I'm not sure if you've listened, had a chance to listen to those episodes, because I know you're a busy man recording and work and all the other stuff going on in life. Because life happens, people. Right. Yeah. But it's just, uh, I've had some fun times, and you and I, I think last time we talked was, what, the alien factor? Yeah, it's been a few months. Yeah. Yeah. And the alien factor, and in between, I was able to interview um, Richard Dizel and George Stover, who were both in the alien factor, and uh, that was that was kind of nice. Um, Richard Dizel was my childhood horror host. He was Count Cord Duvall. So it's, it's nice when you can... He still is. He still is. I mean, he's still going on, but it was... How often do you get a chance to talk to your childhood horror host for an hour? And um, also, he was Captain 20. He was also Bozo to class. All these other things that I saw in growing up, you know, it, it, it's like that piece of your childhood, you know, and getting to talk to him. That was so um, special and neat, you know. I hope listeners enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, he's selfish. It's like, oh, I really enjoyed being able to talk to him. So I hope people listen to it and enjoy it also. <laughs> Uh, and then you just had you had somebody on your show who like a few weeks ago just passed away, didn't he? Yeah, a couple of months back we had um, a Nehemiah Perthoff. Um mm-hmm. He was 102 years old, and wow! And I had a great 90 minute conversation with him over the phone, and that interview went out in March, and he passed away just a couple of weeks back, as you said. And for those people that don't know Nehemiah Perthoff, it's just you're around Derek to my age. You've seen him many times on old TV shows, movies. I mean, he's one of the great character actors of our time. He was one. He was in the original actor studio. The original group in the actor studio. And we talked about him growing up in um, Jerusalem, coming to the United States in Depression time in Brooklyn, New York, and growing up and how he got into acting and some of his various movies. Uh, his credit list was is, is miles and miles long, so we didn't even try to cover it all. But at 102, he was sharp as a tack, and uh, it was a wonderful conversation. And it's just so sad. I feel so sorry for his family and friends. You know, even though he's 102, it's still, you know, a, a sad loss because he was very with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely sounded – I wouldn't have guessed that he was – uh, I can't think of the fancy word that he was over a hundred years old, um, based on the interview that you get, uh, other than you guys talking about his age, you know, oh, which is, yeah. Uh, but I, I wanted to bring that up because I think people would get a kick out of it. Uh, so please go listen to that and support Steve over at the diecast movie podcast link in the show notes. Of course, if you, you know, can't get enough of him by the time we're done with this. Well, you know, that- the guilt part is that a lot of times when we're discussing movies, um, you know, when I'm not doing interviews. Well, if I'm doing an interview, you get to hear person I'm interviewing way more than you hear my voice. So that's the great part. <laughs> <laughs> and when we're doing a movie discussion, it's probably 60% whoever's with me, 40% me. Um, you know, because we're having, the, as you and I do, we have those discussions. It's pretty much like we try, you try to hit that happy mix of 50-50 or 60-40. Yeah. I, you know, I, I enjoy those better than one sometimes. Uh, unless you have a subject matter expert, an SME, then 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 of course I I defer to them. You mean you're not an expert on what we're talking about today? Well, this is, goes back to um, those movies where we sight unseen, and 
I, and I, and you and I keep picking them and picking them. And eventually, you know, I think, I think I'm not sure, judging by what, what you were saying prior to us recording, uh, we might, we might be in a mixed decision on this one. I don't want to play my hand too soon, but I have thoughts. I have thoughts. Well, I hope you would. I mean, that that's all I'm saying. I have thoughts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it was just interesting, you know, that the TV movie, The People, and William Shatner's in it. He's, he's in right? it for about 15 minutes or so, give or take. Um, it's mostly Kim Darby. Yeah, so this is basically a sequel to the episode Miri from Star Trek, right? You could put it that way. I'll think of it more as a prequel. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay, okay. I'm just saying because she's older here than she was in... Yeah, because this is their ancestors. This is set in the past. Oh, okay, okay. I get it. Yeah. So, <laughs> if you're trying to fill in, you know, all that, all that Star Trek lore. But, I mean, yeah, obviously the two of them are together again, and... Uh, this mm-hmm. came out in 72, so it was shortly after, two years after Kim Darby's True Grit movie with the, the legendary John Wayne, you know, that kind of stuff. Like you say that it's her movie. <laughs> like that, That's who we're watching True Grit for, is her. Oh, you're watching <laughs> it for John Wayne? <laughs> I assume. I, I don't know. I'm not the biggest Wayne fan, but, you know, whatever. Well, I mean, it, it is about her, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. So, you know, this is one that, that was picked randomly, and uh, I want to talk about it for sure. I have thoughts, like I said. Um, this was sight unseen for you, too, huh? All, all I, when you and I were discussing it, all I knew about it was what was on Amazon Prime's description. A woman is assigned to teach school in a secluded valley where the people appear stern and secretive, following two children who disappear to play in the woods. She finds that this is actually a community of extraterrestrials with paranormal powers who are attempting to repress and deny their heritage for fear of arousing prejudice and hatred in their human neighbors. Starring William Shatner. That's all I knew about it. It had me. It had me at Shatner. <laughs> it took Shatner to get to this. All that alien, you know, living amongst us is whatever. No, no, no. But Shatner wearing. Well, I mean, when I look at it, it had Shatner's picture prominent, like, you know, all these people holding hands below it, but then there's Shatner above looking like God looking down at him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, That's all I knew about it going in. I, I wonder how this was promoted back in the day, you know? Because... I wish I didn't know it was extraterrestrials. I wish that was something that I would have learned through the film or the, the it's a TV movie through the TV movie, as opposed to knowing going in, you know what I mean? Cause I think it would have given me a little bit more of a, a, a full feeling by the time it was done. Uh, because since I knew they were aliens going into it, I felt like the mystery was a little like, well, of course they're aliens, whatever, you know, um, I don't think it was that hidden. Maybe I don't think it was yeah. that hidden. You, you find out well, within the 30 minutes, I think you pretty much have an idea that either people with special abilities or they're extraterrestrials. You, you know, there's something yeah. beyond 
And um, I don't think it takes anything away going in knowing a director. I don't think you could really spoil this movie. <laughs> because there's no plot twist, really, except that they're extraterrestrials. I mean, that's really, if you talk about it, like, and you find out, maybe relative within the first third of the movie, maybe 40 minutes at the top, you pretty much will know that, and then it's just, it's the tale that goes on. And, and really, it's, it's not like there's anything where it's um, cataclysmic, like, you know, they, they got to save the, the people before townspeople come and storm on it. It just really takes place with these people, and William Shatner, who plays a doctor, and Kim Darby, who plays the new school teacher, that come into this community, and uh, it's really about her learning all this and how she reacts to it. And uh, I, I, to me, it's just a nice, it's almost like a slice of life of what it was to be the people. Okay, I can see that. I can't help but think that this was a pilot that didn't get picked up as a series. It it feels like it was a setup for a series to me. Now, I did a little bit of research. This is based on a novella. One of a handful of stories set in this shared people universe. It was a, it was a series and short stories appeared in various anthologies over the years. Um, a lot of people say that this doesn't really follow the anthology very well, that this has lost some of the, the magic or spark or whatever. I, I wouldn't know. I haven't read it, but there are other people's stories. And I just, I, I went into this thinking one thing, you know, oh man, it's hard to say because I enjoyed it. I guess I just wanted a little bit more out of it since it, to me, it just kind of ended. It's like, this was the prologue to a much longer story, you know, that's how I came away from it. And I feel like because it felt like a TV pilot for something, it felt unfinished for me. Does that make sense? I can see that if you're looking at it. And with a lot of TV movies, you never know if they're backdoor pilots. I, I yeah. would go into it. If I leave a movie wanting more, I think that's a sign of a good movie. If I leave a movie thinking, sure. I don't want any more of this, I mean, it could be because it has a total sense of closure, or it could be I'm just done with those characters and that particular story they're telling, or I was never really into it. But this one, I think by being left wanting more, I think that shows you you, you, you develop certain feelings for the characters, the story, the plot line. You can see where things can go. And that's the creative side of you looking at it. Like, if I had this property, what could I do next and next and next? And what I love about it is they crashed on the planet. I don't know whether it's hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago. It's hard to tell because they're, they're very long-lived compared to us. And yeah. the folk part, when they were talking about it in the past, where how they came into Salem witch trials was basically people killing the people. And who knows how far in the past they did land on the planet and how many times they were persecuted because when their spaceship, which had thousands of people on it, they basically broke up on coming into the planet, coming into Earth. And a lot of people were dropped all over the place from what we were explained. So there are people everywhere around the world, so to speak, or could be, but they don't really know each other. They only like they grew up in smaller or, or stayed in smaller sects, possibly. So that would be an interesting thing. It's like, okay, this is what happened here at this place. 
what could happen with another group? And you can really, you can really, I can see where you could create a side of you, could spin some great short stories from this. Yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of stuff in here that could be picked up and, and turned into a series, you know. Um, everything from exploring her backstory a little bit more, the, the man she's leaving behind, to what happens when somebody else, another outsider, comes into town to figure out what's going on. You know, just I see all sorts of possibilities in here. And, and that's not that's not a bad thing at, at all. I mean, in some TV movies that were backdoor pilots, I come away from feeling very satisfied. Like, uh, to go to another Star Trek alum, Baffled with Leonard Nimoy, that was a backdoor pilot. And I love Baffled. I'd love to talk about it someday here on the show. I mean, I adore that movie. Um, and that felt like a one and done, no problem. I just felt like this was a lot of setup and it, it needed more. Now, that's not to say I didn't like it. Like I said, I did like it. It just left me feeling a little conflicted. I didn't have this, that's, I didn't realize in my mind when I was watching it, I was thinking of it as a backdoor pilot. Maybe it's because I knew there was no TV series that followed it, you know, and it just it came out you know, 50 years ago. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's 50th anniversary. Hurrah! <laughs> <laughs> a movie we never even knew. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but I enjoyed it because the take it had on it. When I read the description, I came in expecting a different kind of movie. I was not expecting this intelligent, we're down to earth type of character relationships and how people are finding things out. Um, people aren't going off half cocked and like, oh, we got to kill the aliens. <laughs> you know, and that kind of stuff. And you're, you're expecting some kind of conflict, but there was no real conflict in the way that you and I would normally think. There's there some conflicts that are small and minor as, as she's adjusting to the community and the community is learning to accept her. And if it wasn't for um, balancing, um, I think she might have had more trouble. Uh, Jim Darby's character, who is Melody, you know, might have had more trouble to becoming the school teacher she was meant to be and how she helped the children accept what they were, accept being different, accept being special. And I think that re resonates back then and also today because there are a lot of people that look at people that are different than them. And as they said, with prejudice, with fear, with um, um, greed, about, oh, they got better. And I think that still holds up, sadly, 50 years later. Yeah. Um, it definitely sets up the outsider versus a, a secluded community right off the bat. It's very children of the corn. It's very, we're going into a, a community we're not supposed to be in. They're, they're burning the modern magazines, you know, that, that sort of thing. So you're really kind of running into a lot of that right off the bat. So it definitely got that. She's an outsider. She's an outsider. How is she going to adjust? And then we start seeing all this telekinesis and such, and that was fun. <laughs> I actually thought it was very well done. It, it reminded me a lot of like the Witch Mountain movies mm -hmm. from Disney, yep. the way things were kind of floating around and moving around and all that, which I love those two movies, um, the original two. I love them. Um, watched them all the time as a kid. And it definitely had some vibes from that as well with the kids when the two kids finally start lifting their feet up. And see, that was another cool thing about this. You said it's an intelligent movie. There are a lot of things in this that are very subtle. Mm -hmm. um, 
that I really liked. I mentioned the magazine. You know, she comes downstairs from where she's staying at the boarding house. And have you seen my magazine? No, no. And you see the one guy step in front of the fireplace. So even though we had a shot of it later of the magazine burning in the fire, we didn't need that because we knew, of course, he burnt it. <laughs> you know, of course he did that. Um, because it was a very well constructed and paced sequence. Um, also, that worked really also, well. Also, you'd be appreciative yeah. of the sound. I knew that was the sound mm -hmm. of a magazine burning without them even showing it. it. Was, and that was, uh, I thought, yeah. great sound on that part and, and mm -hmm. a lot of other parts. I agree. The sound was great. You, you knew it was more than just fireplace background noise. They, they did something to kind of juice it up a little bit to make it work. Uh, you see all these kids walking around shuffling their feet. And at first, you know, the first time you see it, maybe the second time, you see those kids being kids, whatever. But as the movie continues and as the story unfolds, we find out why. And it's kind of clever. And I, I kind of want to go and track down the short stories this is all based on. Because it seems like it might be a really smart science fiction story. So do I. I mean, this, this makes me want to read. And I think, again, you know you enjoyed a movie when you want to seek out more of it. And I think that's yeah. the thing I'm, I'm trying to get across to people is that this is really great. And you talk about the direction. Um, John Cordy was the director and I really liked what he did. I mean, it's a TV movie, you know, the budget's not going to be there. There's great special effects they could do. There's telepathic powers, which of course you don't really need any special effects for that. Telekinesis, not at all. they pulled it off. I thought, well, considering 72 on a TV budget, I didn't think there was anything really bad about it. They showed it a lot. No, they, especially the long shot of the kids floating up in the trees. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they were dummies. I don't know if they were stunt people, but it looked really good. Really good. And they had the one time with the glowing hand, you know, um, with, with um, Saul. There was, a, there was only one time with the glowing hand effect, and that was about it. That, that, that was the one that was kind of like, I'm glad they only showed that one once. But again, for 72, that would have been the bee's knees. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the guy who's got a glowing hand, glowing like the sun, his name's Saul. Um <laughs> Which, again, you know, little things like that, you know. But, yeah, that was the only real visual effect that, that would have been done in post. Everything else kind of unfolded in front of the camera. And it was stuff on wires, I'm sure. Some sound effects. You know, when the kazoos are floating around and you hear the kazoos playing. Um, do you hear the music playing when the harmonica's floating around or not being touched? Just little subtle tricks like that. And that I appreciated a lot. Yeah. When you were watching, were you as shocked as I was at the very beginning, the opening credit of Francis Ford Coppola production? And I'm like, and I'm yes. executive producer Coppola. I was like, my mouth was open. I was, I, I was, I was like, what? Uh, <laughs> a TV movie with yeah, Coppola I, on it? Whoa. So when I saw that, you know, of course, you know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan group, loving Star Wars and George Lucas and studying Lucas, knowing that Lucas and Coppola were buddies. And, you know, you learn a little bit about the American Zoetrope studio thing they had going and all the different projects that Coppola was trying to get going. This felt like once I learned that, it's like, oh, yeah, of course, of course, this is probably from that era. It probably was. Um, Coppola executive produced and another Coppola did the music. It's Bob. Um, Yeah, which totally cool. Carmen, 
And uh, it, I thought the music, well, especially the harmonica music. Because if you, if you don't yeah. like the harmonica music, you're in trouble with this movie. You know, I'll put it that way. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and what I thought was cool okay. was when he's playing the harmonica and then suddenly he's playing it without it being anywhere on, like, without it being it's just in his hand. And then it's floating and playing. I love how yeah. they pulled that off. That was just like, because you're thinking, oh, it's, he's, he's playing this way. Next thing you know, it's floating in the air and it's doing this and that. Oh. It was really well done. Really well filmed. I thought it was very well done. I think um, it got close to confusing me. It didn't go there, but it came very close to it's the music we're hearing in the harmonica or is it just the soundtrack of the film? But they, they went right up into that line. They never crossed it. So I don't think that I, I thought that was well done too. the way they decided to. Because it is kind of the main theme getting played over and over and over again. It's it's a variation of the theme here at the beginning of the movie and all that. So, it, what I also thought was great about the music was the music was helping mm-hmm. the children remember home. And yeah. if you think about it, with people that suffer mental issues as they get older, it's amazing. Music is the one thing that can bring them back. It's like one of the last things to go. It brings them back, and they can remember the songs. They can remember the rhythm. And I thought, you know, here it is 50 years ago. And they're showing that, and we're finding out more about that today. And, of course, last week you had Kevin Slick, who was, like, great with music. I just thought, I was just like, this is just too much synergy going on with music and how. And, of course, we know Derek M. Cook loves music. I was just thinking... Whoever's taking care of me in my end of life is in trouble. Because if they're not playing da, 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 from Creature from the Black Lagoon nonstop, I'm just going to be impossible to handle. Well, they can also do the stinger for Captain Kronos. <laughs> oh, even better. Even better. Depending on how far back we need to go, you know. We can do well, it's, it's, like, it's like for your meal time to perk you up. You know, do Captain, do Captain Chrono's stinger, and they'll be like, be like, oh, dude. <laughs> oh, man. No, you're absolutely right. That is something I hadn't considered, but you're right. Um, with the music. And, and the way they describe it, it isn't, we're going to go fly, or we're going to use our magic power. It's just, we're lifting. We're sorting. We're doing these different things, and it was a nice approach to it without it being kind of over the head with it. It just also, so much of this movie seems subtly, so subtle, uh, the, the approach seems so subtle that it felt like, again, like it should have been something bigger than it was. Well, man. Because there's so much stuff you could have explored down the line, you know? I think I think a lot of listeners have never seen this movie, just like you and I never have, or probably never even heard of oh, it. Oh, boy, yeah. And it, it should be seen. It's on Amazon Prime. And the intelligence that was brought into the screenplay, the directing, the acting working well. One of the scenes I really enjoy is what she's about to have the children in the school draw and she's getting she's passing she's having to pass out the stuff and she's starting to write on the chalkboard what they're going to draw but of course they're telepathic and as they, and they realize it as you can still hear the chalk going so you know she hasn't written everything she's still blocking it from the review but they all turn and they're looking and they're and they, they realize 
what she's asked to draw before she's even written it all the way up on the board before it's there. Yeah. And I thought that was so well done. And I and again, it's just like I wish you would, we'd see that more in movies because yes, you're working with a lot of child actors, and but the director was able mm-hmm. to get it. Now, of course, you're not seeing like groups of them do that. They're, they're, the children are they're having one or two in each of those reaction shots. So you get the best one because it's kind of hard to get all the children of the age ranges that they have doing it in a group. Yeah. And I think it can sometimes be tricky with child actors, with kid actors in a lot of these things. They, you know, because they're kids, they don't have the experience. They don't have the professionalism. They don't have the level of, of skills. A lot of, you know, full grown adults who've studied this craft. But because of how the kids are expected to behave in the community, it works to just tell the kids to look bored. And now action, you know, because it works. They're supposed to be just these blank slates bereft of fun, emotion, music, imagination, and it works. And I think that's another one of the strengths of the film, of the movie, is that the kid actors work they're not distracting at all they're great i really like the kids uh the lead boy uh what was his name clement frencher frencher i liked him uh chris valentine was the yeah. actor for that um didn't do a lot you know some maybe see after school special type stuff but i thought he was great in this i really liked him and how he kind of becomes the first one that the teacher really connects with and, and is able to help him kind of explore his abilities and who he is. And then through him, he's able to kind of pass that along to somebody else in the class. I liked that a lot. This movie was nominated for something, huh? Best Dramatic Presentation at the Hugo's in 1973. Very cool. Well, it should. I mean, it, it deserves recognition. And sure. I mean, also, Eight is Enough is represented in this with the character Karen with Lori Walters. I don't know if you grew up watching Eight is Enough, but she was the one who picks up Melody from um, being dropped off at the bus and is like the spy uh, in the school, so to speak, you know, and uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, she, she was you know, more known for Eight is Enough and those kind of things it's down the road. I knew she looked familiar. I knew that too, and then I... Then I when I clicked on the Amazon Prime trivia thing, it's like, oh, it is enough. Oh, that makes sense. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, I was like, that face is like so familiar. I, was just, I didn't want to interrupt the movie to look it up. So I waited to the end of the movie. Right. Yeah. And I was watching it this morning before work. So I didn't want to take a lot of time. I didn't have time. You know, I wanted to get it in before too much time had passed. Did you explain to him why I did what I did at the beginning of this episode so people don't wonder? Because you <laughs> No, no, I think I'm just going to leave it like that so people think you're weird. No. Um, (laughs) You know, okay. Not a lot of people have seen this movie. In fact, I'm willing to bet that uh, Steve and I are... I'm going to say it. We're the only two that have seen the movie that are currently involved in this episode of Monster Kid Radio as it goes out. Uh, th- this is kind of a rare one. Um, I think there might kind of an odd. There one. might be probably ten people that listen to your podcast that probably saw this before. Stephen Solomon in D one, Jeff Owens in D one. I think 
You know, and Kenny, he loves Shatner, so I wonder if Kenny's seen yeah, so that. There, so there's a few, like I said, there's probably 10 people I can think, a few of them off the top of my head, that probably have seen it, maybe not in a long time, but they yeah. probably have seen it. Well, okay. Super abbreviated version of what this story is. Woman leaves a relationship to go to some small town somewhere to teach. She's a teacher. Uh, she is setting up a one-room school for this community of farmers or, or whatever they are. They they seem like a cross between an Amish community, children of the corn, uh, just very secluded, very uh, wary of outsiders. But they're told they need a teacher. And that was something else that I would like to see a little bit more about. They're like, well, we have to have a teacher. We, need, we have to have you. You have to do the teaching. I, I thought that was an interesting little whatever's going on there. I would have liked oh, a little bit more about that. Oh, they explain it. They because they had several teachers yeah. prior, and it, and the state knows they're there. And Oh, that's right, because they didn't want the state to come in. That's right. Otherwise, they yeah. have to ship the children over the hill to the town, to yeah. the whole thing. And then it would all, you know, eventually something would come out. And so they needed yeah. a teacher that was going to stick and stay there so they didn't have to um, send anybody over to him. And it it's implied the implication is that all the previous teachers have been older women. Uh, whereas Kim Darby is a younger woman, a younger teacher, a little bit more hip to the times. I don't know. But when she is setting up there, obviously she's got a little bit of resistance here. Is it because she's an outsider or is there something a little bit more sinister going on? And I didn't know where it was going to go. I did expect it to, to turn negative, especially when Saul turns up and starts floating her. I thought, okay, um, this is going to become kind of a Shatner and Darby, let's get out of town kind of thing. But no, it doesn't go that way at all, which was refreshing. Saul didn't float her. It was the boy. Saul brought her down. Oh, thank you. Thank you. The boy did it by, because yeah. um, he wanted to, I think, leave when they were having a discussion and uh, about the music and, and started to be, right. and it was read, and was able to read her mind and was saying these things, and she was freaking out about it. How would you know That's that? Right. How would you know That's that? Right. And of course, being a young lad, he instinctively raised her up, and um, yeah. yeah. And when that happened, I thought it was going to go bad. I thought it was going to turn into a "we got to get out of town, fight for your life" kind of thing, but it didn't go that way at all. And I did appreciate that. So. The rest of the movie is really just about her helping the kids come to terms with who they are and ultimately who the community is. And the community starts to embrace who they really are and how they're going to no longer hide who they are. They're going to accept who they are. The world needs us as much as we need the world, that sort of thing. And along the way, Shatner is a small town doctor that cruises in and seems to have zero problem with the fact that these folks are aliens <laughs> once he finds out. So... Yeah, yeah, well, it, 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 it's a Shatner role without the Shatnerism. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I actually really liked him in this. He he seemed very, I don't know, charming without womanizing. Um, he seemed very just happy to be there, and you know, I'm I'm checking the water. Is there something wrong with it? No, there's something very right. You know, I just I really liked that, and it probably wasn't the water. I, whatever it was, was it was the water. He was checking all the I, wells. And um, I really liked this a lot. Um, but yeah, he didn't seem to have a problem with the fact that there's some weird stuff happening here. Uh, in fact, he has to 
count on the fact that there's some weird stuff happening here because at some point, some kid breaks his neck. And the doctor's got to fix him with a pair of scissors in the schoolhouse. That was not, but whatever. Uh, I'm sure there were other instruments being used that we did not see. He broke his neck. If we move him, it's going to sever his spinal column. And the kids all have these conne- these sympathetic connections to each other. So when one feels pain, the another one in the p- the pairing feels pain. And- well, because they merge, they merge because they're sharing yeah. their powers. That that that's yeah. really the big climax. I don't want to spoil how it all resolves because yeah. that is that is the um uh, the the thing that drives the movie and leads to the resolution and that kind of thing. But I yeah. I, I really like both of their take. Both those characters that are the non alien take. And how they reacted with it. And people could say, oh, they're kind of surprised. Well, the people that they're dealing with are telepathic. So they kind of already know who's going to probably be a better reactor than another person. You know, because this guy's been the doctor for a while. And he's probably trying to figure out, like, why are these people always so healthy? I got to think it's got to be something in the land, something in the water, something here or there. But yeah, one thing he did say is, like, they're going to come out of people that they're not hiding. They're still hiding. But they have two people they trust, and Shatner's able to right. take some of the things that they're willing to share from their knowledge base to other people, as long as it as long as it doesn't come back to them, because they still worry about. And with you know, with good reason, people. I mean, I like how they brought it up. Like, you know, people would attack me this and that. It's like, no, I'd be worried about the. I mean, nowadays, because fifty years later, the government would take all these kids and be like, "We're going to train you." We're going to make you a special secret force. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that while we're watching this, while I was watching this, that this is early 70s. And to me, that's when we a lot of film and media starts questioning or has been questioning government authority, that sort of thing. And this felt like an outlier to me because typically in these movies from the 70s, especially in the 80s, the aliens are not to be trusted. They're bad. Um there's somebody from the outside trying to take advantage, that sort of thing. I don't think a story like this could be made today without changing that whole part of it, because this is such a, I mean, for lack of a better term, kind of an innocent meeting between aliens and the humans that accept them. Nothing negative really had, comes of it, which is great, because apparently they were burned at the stake at one point. Mm-hmm. As, as you, like you and I both were talking about, I went in this movie expecting something different. I was expecting... Maybe it's maybe I've seen too many like Satan movies, you know, that kind of stuff. Where I was, I was expecting something bad to happen to the teacher because he kept saying all these other teachers, you know. And I was thinking, oh, oh, they're gonna do something with her, you know, and then they'll bring in the next teacher because it is the seventies, you know. And but instead of right. but instead of Satan, we got aliens because why not, you know? And but no, it totally avoided all the cliches I was expecting it to go to and stay intellectual and that kind of thing. So I really enjoyed it. It was a good pick. Sight unseen, you got to love them. We got to do it, man. Another sight unseen success. You know, so far, so good. I'm optimistic because even if we even if we eventually hit one that's a dud, our success rate is way up there. And I think, and like you always say, just because there's a movie you, you don't like doesn't mean somebody else is one that they like. This one, I don't think anybody even really knows it exists. <laughs> 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 Which could be why all the aliens do some nefarious things that the government does, because those movies people remember. So that could be why we don't right. see these movies. 
All right, well, Steve, there's something we didn't do at the beginning of all this. I do want to play around with the Classic Five before we let you go. What do you think? Oh, my God, he's going to do it. Wait, you never, by the way, one thing I got to say. You never said, you started with the plot thing. The reason I said my name and age and the animal is that's how. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Derek did not do this because that's how she had the kids introduce themselves in the school to start off. And they all did it except for one. I think one person didn't do one girl. But everybody else did it and that kind of stuff. And that is why I started off that way. And Derek, I'm still waiting for you to say what animal you would be. I don't know. I haven't really thought about being an animal forever, man. Um, <laughs> Which means, ladies and gentlemen, he's thought about this before. <laughs> well, yeah, you know. I don't know. Some kind of some kind of cool bird. Some sort of cool bird. Not an eagle. That's that's that's. Uh... But yeah, some kind of cool bird, just so I can fly around. Oh, cool! Yeah, he up with the power of flight. Yep, works. That's that. That's what I want. Cool, cool. It'll be a hummingbird. <laughs> nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah. A mockingbird. A morning dove would be cool because they sound awesome in the morning. Oh, you would. You, you, you. And I do. And I do share. You know, I do talk and all that, and people listen. So yeah, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, you're like the, you're like the boy. He picks the bird that that you know because it's the songs that sing. So there you go. You're just like the character on the movie. That's right. Now I'm going to go play outside and break my neck and hope William Chatner can put me back together again. That's one way to meet Chatner. The classic five. The classic five. All right, let's play a round of the Classic Five, sir. The Classic Five. If it's a game that we play on every episode, usually, of Monster Kid Radio, I've got a deck of cards here. Five cards. Each one has a question on them. We're going to go through five of these questions with Mr. Turek to learn a little bit more about him or just have a good time talking about monster movies. Steve, are you ready to play? Yes. Yes, I am. What prizes do I win? Because I've already been on the show. <laughs> uh, you get to come back. Okay, I get to come back. I'm planning to come back. Okay. <laughs> All right, and I'm intentionally going to pull a couple from the Hammer deck in honor of Hammerama. Oh, that's that, which is great because Alistair's the one that has the knowledge. I got, I got, I got nothing. <laughs> hey, no wrong answers, <laughs> no wrong answers. Are you ready, sir? I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Not counting the original. What's your favorite Hammer Dracula film? Oh, that's that, that's easy. The Seven Golden Vampires. Yeah! Black Belt against Black Magic in the greatest battle of all time. As the seven brothers and their one sister meet Dracula. I mean, come on. Martial arts? And vampires, Peter Cushing, who could ask for anything more? <laughs> I'm getting, I'm back on another kung fu kick. So yeah, I, I'm all about that, man. And, and I just, all and I just that. recently watched that Shaw Brothers Volume One collection. Oh, I'm so jealous of that, man. Oh, I'm so jealous of that. But I did just recently go to a screening of Master of the Flying Guillotine oh! original film, 35 millimeter print. Man. Isn't that music uh, great? Oh, I loved it. <laughs> it, 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 it. The music's like, what? 
It's been a while since I've seen it, but I remember every time yeah. the Master yeah. Guild scene shows up, the, like, the music was just like, and he was such a oh. bad mother. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if that was the one-armed man that killed my disciples or not. I will kill every one-armed man in town. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you? No. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I love that movie. That was so much fun. That was so much fun. All right. Let's let's uh, dip into some kaiju action. So I know you like some kaiju. Who doesn't like kaiju? I don't know. Some friends of mine. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Favorite Godzilla foe. Ooh, that is favorite Godzilla foe. All right. Now, a lot of people would go with certain ones. I'm going to try to avoid the typical. I'm going to avoid the. Smog Monster Hedorah. I'm going to avoid King Gidra Ghidorah. Um, favorite? Oh. I'm going to say... Now, are we talking about monsters or could it be people? Whatever. Whatever you want. I'm going to say one. I would say the first movie, Man. Let's go back yeah. to Gojira. It's Man that made them exist. And, uh, and, and Man that Killed him, but he got better. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. But if, if I was to pick a favorite foe, I'd have to say, hmm, that's so tough. But if he said so many and they all lose, <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to go with King Kong just because okay. they're one and one now in movies. You know, oh, yeah. And, and they're they're yeah. evened up. You know, who's the winner? And I really love that King Kong versus I mean, Godzilla versus Kong movie that just came out. You know, I really enjoyed it. I love that action. I loved it, how it was done. I'm going to say King Kong. Okay. I like it. I like it. Which kaiju do you wish had more movie appearances? Which kaiju do I wish that? King Caesar. I have been on a King Caesar kick too. I know he hasn't done much. Uh, I talk about him like he's an actor. Uh, I know he hasn't done much. No. Well, he is an actor. I I mean, come on. <laughs> tell, King you, Caesar you just tell looks me, cool. You tell me they're not real. <laughs> <laughs> next thing you're gonna tell I me. I just want to see the. Next thing you're gonna tell me is that you know that that. that the creature doesn't exist and Frankenstein doesn't you're, you're killing me man I want to see the onset chairs you know like the director chair for the director chair for the crew giant chair for King Caesar and then <laughs> <laughs> oh oh man alright let's see let's dip back into the core deck here uh, what let's see you've probably done you have done all of these the last, last few times you and I've done this, you, you've actually never used the deck. You've been picking cards from your me- You've been stacking them I'm on looking, the- I'm looking at my spreadsheet right now, actually. Favorite black and white zombie movie? Favorite black and white zombie movie? Oh, man. Um, that is a very good question. That is very good. I'm going to go with something that I've been meaning to watch again. And it's been a long time since I've seen it. And that is, I walked with a zombie. 
And out of their West Indian island comes a tale of terror and voodoo, of witchcraft and zombies, and all the weird black magic that the white man seldom sees. It is a tale of brother against brother and their love for a woman who lived with the dead. And it is also the tale of a young nurse who never believed such things could happen. Are you trying to tell me that the voodoo priest could cure Mrs. Holland? Better doctors. Dambala, this woman is ill. This is the ceremony of voodoo death. A ceremony that seeks the life of the woman who lives forever, who walks with the dead. That's such a good film. And it's been... It's so good. Exactly. I've been meaning to rewatch it. It's been more than 10 years. It's been a long time. Um, Unlike a lot of people, I don't rewatch a lot of these movies over and over again. It's like I I, I wait a little bit of time. That's what makes it interesting when I always try to do Hammerama, because some of these... The Hammer movies I haven't seen in decades. <laughs> I go watch them. He's watched it like, you know, five times one month or something like that. So, yeah, you know, we all have our obsessions. Um, now I walked with the zombies really good, really good. I I haven't watched it in forever either. I should give it a another look. See, yeah. So when I when I start to forget what the movie's about, then I know it's. A lot of it, and a lot of details. I know it's time for me to rewatch it. That's that's my usual role. So I get that more of a fresher view and and take on it. Gotcha. All right. Final question. Back to the Hammer Deck. Favorite actress to appear in a Hammer film? Well, that is a loaded question. <laughs> I know it's hard, man. There's so many good ones. Carlson, Monroe, Bestwick. Who do you go with? Shelley, I mean, well, Ingrid Pitt. I'm going to stop talking because I'm not helping. <laughs> well, no, you're not helping, but if you are and you're not at the same time. Uh, now, do you mean like in their performance or do you mean in knowing them in person? However you want to take it, however you want to take it. That is tough. That actually just makes it even worse for me. Because I'll be like, oh, geez, yeah. Uh, well, we've met a handful of them. I know, and I've interviewed... A couple. One of them that'll be coming out next month. I interviewed Martine Beswick. We had a ninety-minute nice. conversation, and fantastic. I had um the final interview. I think from what I've understand with Veronica Carlson when I did that interview for Monster Bash. Yeah, and um, I, I'm going to go. I've heard that too. I'm going to go with Veronica just because it, it's so. That interview with her. Um, her grandson was with us, and it was she was getting ready to leave that night for Monster Bash. So we had the interview scheduled. It was a, it was a half hour-ish um, interview, but I asked her grandson to participate in it, and because um, everybody was always asking him what's it like, you know. I said, "Would you be willing to share your thoughts at the end of the interview?" And he said, "Sure." And Veronica's like, "That'd be brilliant." And because I was at her table and we did this, and it was like an hour and a half later, they're sitting next to each other on the couch, like thing. I'm sitting in a chair right across from them and um, they're holding hands and I find out like she had helped raise Alex so it was like one of her children and to, to her you know more than a grandchild but like one of her own children and yeah um, 
it's an audio interview, so you can't see it. The love you see between the two of them. And she couldn't wait to get him to talk, you know, to hear her thing. And you could just see it. And it just, I didn't, I think I'm not sure if I told you this before, off air, but it was, I didn't care if anybody else listened to this interview or saw it. Dan Day was there with me, you know, and uh, she was so happy with it. And it was such a gift to give to her. Um, mm-hmm. That it was so touching. And then for her to pass it away shortly after, cut right to. So, listeners, uh, go check out episode 71 of the Diecast Movie Podcast. I went to go look it up. Um, she's definitely somebody who's going to be missed. So, go listen to that episode to hear that interview that Steve's talking about. Sorry to end on on a downer there, Steve, but uh, well, it's just yeah. that that interview. You know. uh, it's still close to home. Yeah, it was. You've shared some of this with me before, and it just sounds amazing. And thank you for sharing that here on MKR. I appreciate it. I don't know how to get out. You know, ask me to move ask, on. Ask me a, a sixth question that doesn't involve <laughs> actresses. <laughs> Something that'll be light and fun. Which classic monster movie is a must-watch for you on Halloween? Oh, classic monster movie. Um, Arsenic and Old Lace. Really? Yeah. That's your Halloween go-to. Okay, cool. I, I like if it. If I had to pick one, that would be one because it's, it's um, Cary Grant for crying out loud. As, yeah. as we all know from your um, rally award, Cary Grant is one of the greatest actors ever. <laughs> and... He's good. Uh, he is good. Oh, no, 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 no. You're, you're putting it mild. He's, he's better than good. I mean, this is Cary Grant. <laughs> I mean, come on, man. <laughs> but then again, it's not really a monster movie as much as other stuff. But, yeah, I enjoyed it. And that's and my, my kids and I love to watch it because, you know, it's, it's just something we watch every year. And it's, I like it because it's humorous. It's fun. It goes through. It's something you can put on and just enjoy while you're doing other stuff, or you can watch it straight through. Right on. I will. Uh, you know what? I'll watch it this Halloween. See how it. See how it goes down. Um. Yeah. What's yours? All right. What's mine? Monster Squad. I know it's not a classic, but that's my go-to. I love the Monster Squad, and that's that's my go-to on Halloween. Um, I'll try to typically, maybe Frankenstein meets the Wolfman if I had to go true, true classic. So I do love that one too. Just everything about that one for me is phenomenal. So, all right, Steve, we got through the classic five plus one, talked about the movie, talked about diecast movie podcast. You can find it wherever you can download podcasts or listen to podcasts. Um, check them all out. Episode 71 is the one that we were just talking about a second ago, but check out all the shows, the recent Hammerama stuff. Get your hammer fix in, courtesy of Steve and Alistair. Uh, Alistair, who's going to be on the show in the near future here, uh, we're going to be talking about the Legend of Hell House in the near future. So that'll be a good time. A um, little, little worried. Uh, he's very excited about it, and I've never seen it. So <laughs> You've never, wait, you've never seen it? You're in No. No, but- I don't. I'm. I'm stopped picking on people that haven't seen a movie, because I always look. You're in for a treat. You're in for something good. You're gonna like it. You're gonna enjoy it. 
I know what kind of movies you pretty much usually gravitate to, and this this is going to go right up your warehouse. You are in for a treat. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Sorry, I just realized that a text message that I thought I was sending to my girlfriend, I sent to Steve as a Facebook message. So I am quickly removing it I already so saw that it. he doesn't see it. No! <laughs> It pops up on my iPad, so I saw these messages as they were coming up. I was like, I had no idea what they meant. <laughs> I was going to ask you when well, we were done recording. <laughs> Steve, for the record, I am not looking forward to cuddles and kisses with you. I love you, man, uh, uh, but that was meant for my girlfriend. <laughs> uh, I had a feeling that it was like, you know, it was a little bit of a oopsie going on there. Yeah. Well, she gets off, and she, she's coming over after work, and, you know, she's just letting me know she's getting off work, and I'm like, yeah. Uh Remember, listeners, what happens in Monster Bash stays in Monster Bash. I met Derek at Monster Bash. <laughs> I know this is going to get cut. No, I'm blushing, dude. I am so sad. <laughs> Listen, I'll share that with Dex. I'm, that I'm with seeing Dex. Derek's face because we're, we're doing this um, through Skype with the, with the video, and it, it is just. I, I could keep saying sort of things that I would keep him getting redder and redder if I wanted to. <laughs> it's looking like he's getting a sunburn on his face. All right. Well, um. <laughs> Let, listen, listen, listen. We laughed. We cried. We talked about it. For, this, this is this, for a movie. You're looking for all those, all those emotions. This episode ticks all the boxes. <laughs> Um, yeah, hey, anyway, uh, <laughs> go check out Diecast Movie Podcast. Oh, man. Derek, again, thanks for having me on the show. I always love being on here. Yes. <laughs> I'm just going to cut it there. Got it. Man, I really thought that was... Mm. Beyond this gate lurks an experience that will touch a fear you never knew you had. <coughs> the legend of Hell House. What did he do to make this house so evil? Murder, vampirism, cannibalism, drug addiction, alcoholism, sadism, mutilation. Naked. Drunk. Fighting. Oh, please get me out of here. I do not accept this! For the sake of your sanity, pray it isn't true. The Legend of Hell House. Starring Pamela Franklin, Roddy McDowell, Clive Revel, Gail Honeycutt. The Legend of Hell House. From 20th Century Fox. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. A nightmare within a nightmare. I'm Al from New Zealand. And I'm Stephen from Maryland, USA. We are Hemorama. Welcome to our new podcast, Enter Freely. And of your own will. Part of the multi-award-nominated Diecast Movie Podcast, Hammerama is a wide look at the world of hammer horror from either side of the globe. 
Each month we will throw a die to decide which category from the film vault of Hammer we are going to discuss. The Dracula, Frankenstein or Mummy Cycles, Science Fiction, Prehistory or the Experimental 1970s. We will cast our international eyes across then and now reviews of the movie. Its place in the Hammerverse. Our encounters with the stars. A film poster critique. And unusual associated merchandise. So join us for our bite-sized discussion of Hammer's gory glories, stitched together from both ends of the earth. Hammerama is a proud part of the Diecast Movie Podcast. Big thanks to everybody who participated in this week's episode. Of course, I appreciate everything that you do. Yeah, I couldn't put an episode of Monster Kid Radio together like this without the support of the various contributors and without you, the listeners. Yeah, yeah, you. You, the one listening to the podcast on the bus right now. Yeah, you. Specifically, I thank you. Well, and everybody else, too. Because Monster Kid Radio has created such an amazing community, I am incredibly lucky that I've got so many people listening and participating in various Monster Kid events, joining us at the Monster Kid Movie Club, hanging out online, chatting it up on Facebook, on Twitter. Y'all are awesome, so thank you. If you want to learn anything about Monster Kid Radio, check out monsterkidradio.net. You'll find links to the aforementioned Twitter and Facebook, both a page and a group. Also links to our Discord, our Reddit, and our Twitch stream, where we show movies twice a week, Saturday pretty much all day, and then Tuesday afternoon and evening Check out twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. Depending on when you listen to this episode, we could be doing Mexican monster movies. We could be doing what I hope to be a entire run or stream of folk horror. Just depends on what I'm able to get my hands on. It's just a lot of fun to put together this stream and kind of curate this experience. Of course, Scott Morris participates by creating an amazing pre-show, and we've got advertisers and prizes to give away. It's just a good time. I love doing it, but I also love doing the podcast, which means in about seven-ish days, hopefully a little bit sooner, I can get back on track. You're going to see or hear or find another podcast in your podcast catcher or directory or however it is you listen to podcasts. You're going to get another episode of Monster Kid Radio. Episode 570 is on the way. And once again, I'm not 100% sure what's going to be in that episode, but I have some ideas and I've got some feelers out. So stay tuned for that. I can tell you that I've got a really cool interview planned for later this month, and I know we're near the end of the month, but you won't hear that until the first week of May, and then we'll kick off like a three-week run of Lucha de Mayo here on the show, where we talk about luchador monster movies. Love me some good luchador monster movies, and just luchador movies in general. And I can tell you, I've got at least one Blue Demon film in the wings. It's going to be a good time. It's always a good time, though, when you're here listening to Monster Kid Radio. So thanks again for being here. I appreciate you. Until next week, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Cabinet of Curiosities. That is copyright 2022. Black Valley Moon. You can find it on their album Songs from the Black Valley Moon, which you can find at blackvalleymoon.bandcamp.com. Go check out their album. Check out their entire discography. 
get ready for their vinyl release that's coming up here soon and make sure that you let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Sarah Kim Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao. Mm-hmm.